We are back in the book of Galatians. If you were not here with us last week as a church member, if you call this or you feel like this is a church you want to be part of and continue to be part of, go listen to last week's sermon. It really is a theme, and I feel God spoke clearly through the power of God uh, about some things. So I say, I'd ask you to go listen to that sermon to be on the same par with where I'm wanting our church to continue to be, which is what this last song just sang. It's living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, that gets weird for some people, but, but I think as things escalate and things get worse, you don't get scared of the power of God, you press in to the power of God and ask for him to show himself all the more. Amen? And I, I sense him, I feel him, and I know we're going to. One of my favorite songs right now is there's a song called Tear Off the Roof. When I'm driving around and I hear it saying, it says, tear off the roof, the king's in the house. Just get me to Jesus, I don't care how. I don't have to wait to get the healing. I got, I got faith without a ceiling. So tear off the roof because the king's in the house. There's power in the presence, the power in the blood, power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the presence, the power in the blood, power in the name of Jesus. And he has more in the hem of his garment than the camp of the enemy. There's power in the presence, power in the blood, power in the name of Jesus. And I won't keep reading that song. But I do believe there's power in Jesus. And we see, I mean, there's a, a recording of somebody just trying to get to Jesus and just to touch his garment and power flowed from that garment. We, we, we see that in scripture. And so I think as God's people, we constantly never need to make religion and church about us. It's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. It's about the cross and what he did on that gospel. I believe you, if you are a Christian saved by grace, I believe you are going to, I said this at men's ministry this Saturday, you will be an evidence to all eternity, to all other things that God has created for God to say, mercy and grace. That's who we are. Amen? That's why we're studying the book of Galatians, gospel plus anything else we need to get rid of. It's gospel. Jesus died on the cross. And I'm going to teach that so I should stop because I'm going to spend my first beginning with the gospel. But we need to accept the gospel and understand that in eternity we are the representatives for glory of mercy and grace. That God can always say, you've seen that side of who I am. Look at my creation. You've seen my power. You're living because of me. But then there's an, the side of grace, grace and mercy. That's who we represent for eternity. Amen? And people are trying to hijack grace and mercy and plus to make it man, about man, about us. No, that's not what Galatians teach. And we're getting thick into Galatians, and Paul is saying this loud and clear. So if you don't like that I get loud... Well, Paul's loud. <laughs> he's very outspoken. He's very clear. And that's what he's saying today. So 
If you are able and capable of standing up, we're going to read Galatians chapter 2. You're welcome to stand for the reading of God's Word. Although my notes say verse 15 through 21, I'm going to back up to verse 11 because we did miss for a week and I just wanted to get us on the same page. Let's read about Paul opposing Peter. Again, he stood up to apostles. It says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I stood, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He writes it that way. I stood up to him to his face in front of everybody. Let's talk, Peter. What you're doing is not right. I'm not the apostle. I'm just telling you how he went about it. For before certain men came to James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, what is he saying there? My cohort, who I go on missions with, and we're ministering to the Gentiles. You're even messing him up, Peter. You're getting him sidetracked. And he says, even Barnabas is going along with this. What are we doing? So this is not small talk. This is serious business. Paul means business. This is about the gospel. As he opened his book up and said, even if an angel appears to you and says something different, then I said, no. This is the gospel message as he's defended himself that God gave to me. And that's what he's running with. You know, sometimes, who cares what anyone else says? You run your race. You run the race God called you. And you stand by what God told you, not man's approval. And that's what we see here. We see it. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, that's that issue. I said to Cephas before them all. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's his argument. Now we get into the text we're covering today, verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Is that clear? Do we need debate? Do we need to discuss this further? Do we need to add anything to it? Do we need a pope to say something about what he just said? Why do you want man's religion? This is what Paul is combating. Guys, we are right now, as of October 31st, I wrote an article to our church about Reformation Day, 506 years since Reformation. Do you know what Martin Luther fought for? It's for this concept right here that we are talking about today, justification. That you are saved by grace, by mercy. He exchanged his righteousness for your unrighteousness. Luther called it the great exchange. You see, he read scripture and he was like, wow. What this actually teaches versus what religion was teaching. 
Indulgences? No, there's no indulgence. You can't pay your way into eternity. People weren't reading the Bible for themselves. You understand that? 506 years ago, people were not able to read God's Word for themselves. And Luther fought to get the Bible in your hand so religion doesn't oppress you. Because just like the world, it became an oppression. Amen? I mean, could he say it any clearer? You need to celebrate with me as I read this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith. Justified by faith in Christ. Nothing else. That's what that means. Nothing else. Peter, stop. Barnabas, stop. Apostles, stop. Don't listen to these Judaizers trying to create religion in man's image. Hey, listen, it's hard. It's hard to just accept God at his word. We feel like we got to do this or that to feel like we jump through hoops to get into heaven. And then man tries to make that hoops for everybody else. No. Just accept grace and mercy. God's forgiven you. Is that enough? It should be. That's what Paul's contending for in Galatians. The book of Galatians is the book that should stop multiple denominations. Not denominations. They shouldn't even exist. Because they've added. I'm, I'm just being honest. Galatians, we, we don't have to turn anywhere else. Galatians, this verse alone, justified by Christ, Christ, nothing else. Let the scripture speak, read it, believe it. All right. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Law ain't getting you nowhere. We'll talk about that. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners in Christ, then a servant of sin, certainly not. That's a whole other conversation. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. That's what we're talking about, about justification. Then Christ died for no purpose. Purpose. If you add anything to the gospel, let me be clear on that, church. I could die today, God can take me, and I can go to heaven. But I'm going to be clear about what I stand for. The gospel is not to be changed, it's not to be altered, it's not to be made in man's image. It's, the bit, it's meant to be grace and mercy. And you will stand as representatives one day. If you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you as a Christian. One day, we are the example to the world of God's grace and mercy. That's our purpose. Worshipful beings that are examples of His grace and mercy. Thank you, God. 
How, how could there be another response? And thank you, God. Amen? That's the response. The response is not try to control people, be the Holy Spirit, try to fix people, tell them the hoops they need to jump through. That's not what Scripture teaches. And that seems very fleshy and man. We're to accept His grace and mercy and let His Word dictate what worship means, which is not on a Sunday morning singing songs. It's every day of your life. Know that and we don't have a problem. Y'all can sit, sorry. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So the good news, or the end... Dileon, the gospel is that you and I have fallen short. We have worshipped things that aren't God. We have belittled and mocked God with either our lives, our mouths, or our minds. That's reality. But God, but God, I'm starting with gospel. God's response to that has been to make a few, sorry, make a way for us to be reconciled to God. In the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't separate the two. He is Messiah, but it's the work. It's the life that he lived. Nobody else could pay that price for you. That's why I tell you when we do Lord's Supper, I'm not just thinking about the blood. I, I, I let it be known. I'm thinking about the bread that every, life he, every day he lived, he never sinned. I just can't imagine that as a sinner. I mean, I could give my life for my kids. I could give my life for one of you. I think the harder thing is living perfect every day. That's what Christ did. So that, that, that's an important part of the gospel is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? In perfect obedience. In fact, Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit telling him what to do. There was a connection with God. He lived his life walking in line with the Holy Spirit. No question. He would run away from, I I don't need to be here miracling all this up. I need to get away and be with my Father. There are times that God is very clear. I got to get away and be with my Father so I can hear what God has to say to me. Amen? What do we need to be doing? Oh, same thing. (laughs) Right? So, God in the person and work of Jesus Christ, reconciliation, made possible and this is all in your notes we get Christ's righteousness he takes upon himself our rebellion our sinfulness whatever you walked into this room with that you're like man I hope this other person doesn't know this about me I hope they never find out this about me let's be honest that's somewhat coming into church it's a this is a Baptist church you walked into a Baptist in some people's minds means judgmental that's not this place. It won't be as long as I'm the pastor here. We're going to accept whomever. But that being said, it doesn't mean we don't come in with our own thoughts, our own issues, our own challenges that we walk into this room with that we're thinking about as we sing, as we talk. It's still there. The failures, the mistakes. And this is the power of the gospel and why you have to remind yourself of the gospel, not Occasionally, every day, wake up and remind yourself of what God did for you and fight again. Amen? Fight that flesh again. 
When God looks at us, he sees Christ and deemed us as perfect and spotless and blameless. Do you believe that this morning? That when God looks at you, he doesn't see you the same way you see yourself. You're your worst enemy. He doesn't see you that way. He sees what Christ has done and what is accomplished. And God does not live in our timeline. One day is a thousand years to him. It's no different. God already knows the end. He already knows you in pearly white perfection. Those of you who are truly Holy Spirit inspired and filled and Christians. Amen? That's, it's what he's saying to us. And I think if we don't believe the gospel ramifications like I'm just now describing, we don't live with the power of God. So that's last week's sermon. We don't actually have faith for God to do powerful things because we're so caught up on doubt. God can't use me. I'm no good. I'm nothing. And we can't act actually be faith in action. God, use me. I'm asking you for big things because I just want to be a vessel and I know I can't do this on my human self. I need your muscles. Come on, God, flex! But if we're so caught up and we aren't even sure we're saved, how do we ever ask God to do far more extraordinarily things? More than we can even think, as Scripture said from last week. Amen? So... I'm asking you to believe the gospel today. Please believe the gospel. Whatever, I don't know where you've come from. I don't know what church you've been around. I don't know what pastor you've listened to. I don't know. Listen to Pastor Paul. Listen to him. Listen to the description of what justification means. And believe it. I'm not, I'm not pushing you towards Ben's doctrine. I'm saying, read this, believe this, live to this, and anything else plus this, X out. Someone starts talking about this and they're not talking about this. Stop watching them. Stop listening to them. Amen? We're talking about faith right now. So, Colossians. Let's look at Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians. Three different times. Colossians 1.22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Did you hear that? That's present tense. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, the cross, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Not a future, right now. Are you saved? The Holy Spirit in you? Am I, am I getting my point across? I need some heads. Come on, church, so I can move on. Holy and blameless. Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We shining? Let's shine. Let's shine. Ephesians 5, 26 through 27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And this has to do with marriage. 
And it's saying this is who you're supposed to be as guys, men. That you, that you would sanctify, that you would pour into your, your wife for her to be spotless and blameless, not giving up the fight of coming to church, not giving up the fight of discipleship, not giving up the fight of just doing whatever it is in your mind that you want to do that's not what God would tell you. You got to fight. Some of us, we got a bigger fight. Well, I don't know what challenges you've walked in this place with, but I know God's enough. Amen? And, and what we're talking about is what God has done for us. And man, I just don't understand. If you're a Christian who wants to find man religion, to find goodness in your life, I don't understand it. I can't understand that. Why can't we just accept grace? Because I don't want to run my race not knowing the future. Meaning, holy and blameless. Right now. Because I don't want to live my whole life wondering maybe. No, no, no. That's not what God's word has promised us. Right now. Holy, blameless. Run your race with authority and power. Amen? Knowing that God can do far and extraordinarily things than you can even think of. So ask. Trust God. Let him flex. If he doesn't flex... No different to me, because I have the Holy Spirit. You see, I'm already confident in my salvation. God can show up or not show up however he chooses, but I don't want to not ask out of fear or out of doubt in my weakness in my flesh. Amen? Man's religion ties us with a bow and keeps us in a place of submission. Versus, God, use me. I know I'm flawed, just like Peter, flawed. Paul is calling out apostles and is like, stop this nonsense. And I'm telling my church or whoever's watching on TV, stop the nonsense. Come all in to grace and mercy. Come all in, embrace it, and then give it away. Share the gospel, share it to everybody. There's hope, there's hope. There's purpose for you. I don't care what you've done. God can make a name for you. Have you read about David? Have you read about Paul? Why do you think God picked those type of figures? To share far and extraordinarily what the gospel means for his people. So I am trying to very... I, listen, I understand. I can move on. Move on, Pastor. I'm not. I need to hit this thick. Because Paul's hitting it thick. So I got to hit it thick. Gospel plus anything else is not the gospel. You're either a shining example, a light to the world of mercy and grace, or you're not. You're a Christian slash something, and you're teaching something that's not what the Bible actually teaches. Galatians, baby. Galatians. Justification. Think Galatians. What does justification mean? Galatians. That's what he's contending for. Amen? And again, we're only 506 years into Reformation where Martin Luther felt the need to get the Bible in everybody's hands because we were so far off track from what God designed and planned and the cross and his exchange of his righteousness for unrighteousness. We were no longer in Scripture. We were in a system of religion. And he fought and God used him to, and others to free us 
But guess what? That fight's going to keep coming. That fight has continued. And we as authentic believers need to stand by God's word. And sometimes not be cowardly and call out with something that's false. It's not being disrespectful. It's standing your ground and saying, that's wrong. That's not biblical. That's not who we're called to be. As a pastor, it's protecting your flock. And as a pastor, I'm calling my flock to call out something that's wrong because you got friends attached to false things. And I want you to be an evangelist. And as I said last week, not necessarily hitting up the person you've never met. It starts with people you already know. If they're saying, I hope I get to heaven, that is a sign they don't know the gospel. It should be, you should hear clearly from people, I know I'm going to heaven, and why? And they will articulate the gospel, or they don't believe the gospel. And that's where you need to step in and be an evangelist. Amen? If you're concerned for your friends and family's salvation, you got to have conversation. Or you're not really all that concerned. Amen? Because you got to have those conversations. So there's two arguments against the gospel. The gospel that Paul is fighting for. One, first up, is that it does, oh, it, it does, uh, it does away with the law. And the law is holy and divine. And you can't get rid of the law. This argument is true in that the law is holy and that it is divine as long as the law is used as the law was meant to be used as a diagnostic, not a cure. Hear what I just said. I said this last time I was in Galatians. I'm saying it again. The, the law tells you how sinful you are. It doesn't solve the problem of us being fleshly and full of sin and we were still going to have to go to the altar and sacrifice and we're going to come back to that altar and sacrifice because we're going to sin again. You see, the flesh is going to keep being flesh. We're going to keep struggling with sin. There is power in the spirit to change some things, but you're never going to live a day of sinless life. You're just not. You're flesh. God's got to get rid of that flesh in us, which is heaven, not here. We can fight, and it's going to be always fighting. It's always going to be a fight, spiritually, to be who God's called us to be. But it's a diagnostic. It's not a cure. So they're getting wrapped up in trying to tell everybody, you have to do this, you have to do that, all these things. And then they start prioritizing what, in their own mind, is these are the things that really matter. If you ever had an argument with somebody that's like a culty person, it doesn't go anywhere. It's like your decision over what people have to do. That's how it goes. And then you're like, well, what about all these other laws that you're just ignoring? <laughs> that's, what ha that's what happens when you're talking to people like that. I know, they're my family. <laughs> so I say that to you, it's a diagnostic. Secondly, is this, and this is very important for today's time. The second is that if you preach this type of gospel, then people will use this as an opportunity license to sin. Oh, you mean God is going to forgive me no matter what? Then I'll do whatever I want and God will forgive me. You see? Then we go to the other extreme. Either we got to have law and man controlling us or grace is actually serious and I'm forgiven. And so now I just have a license to do whatever I want. What are we missing here? The worshiper. I don't, I don't know about you, 
And this, this to me, defines whether you're a Christian or not. That a person like that is not a child of God, not a son of God. Because when I sin, I feel guilty. I know I struggle. I commit, I commit time to prayer of saying, God, forgive me for my sins. Help me in my weakness, in my failure time and time again. God, I'm so sorry. I know what the cost is for what I did and what I'm doing. Please help me change, God. Amen? Listen, the believer that's like, Woo! Free reign! Let's go! They're not saved. You're not saved. You don't love God. You may like the concept of grace in the gospel. You may like it for profit. There's, I believe, some mega pastors that preach the gospel because it's an amazing message. But then they start twisting the gospel into something else, meaning sin doesn't exist. Whatever, you, whatever your preference is, the Bible doesn't speak this. It does. It speaks very clearly to the, uh, I'm not going there because they may not like me anymore. Hey, if you like the gospel, you need to read the whole Bible, all of it, equally. God does not change his word. He does not change. You don't want him to change. Alpha, omega, beginning to the end. He doesn't live in our timeline. And what he said is what he said, and he meant what he meant. If he calls it sin, it's sin. And it's our job to wrestle with it. What does that look like? Obediently. But I have the privilege of standing before you and preaching scripture. And it's what I didn't write. It's what Paul wrote. So why are you offended at me? I'm just going to teach what he wrote. Amen? But we need to accept with the apostles and prophets that God gave them the authority to speak to us. And what they say is what we need to believe. Amen? So, there's two problems there. And Paul's trying to get to the bottom of both of these. So, Paul has already shown through our study in Galatians that he will not relent. He's not going to compromise. He, and he's not going to back off of the gospel being the authentic gospel that God revealed to him. So he picks this all up in verse 15, which is our actual sermon, and I'll go fast. Verse 15 through 16, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, is what he says. Basically, Paul's saying Jews have, had, and have a moral advantage over the Gentiles. They do. If you, were grown, if you grew up in church and your parents have brought you to church and you've had so many encounters to be around God's word, you have an advantage. You are more susceptible to knowing Christ. But there is a problem with that. There is no moral advantage. You are not right with God because your parents brought you to church. You may actually be more destructive because you know more of the Bible and yet aren't a believer. There's no moral advantage. You're not getting to heaven because you're daddy, your mom. I don't care whether pastors, deacons, elders, missionaries, it doesn't matter. You're not getting into heaven because of somebody else. You will stand accountable to God morally. And the question will be, are you right with God? And it will all be based on the gospel. Did his dying on the cross, did his exchange of his righteousness take place in your life because you accepted 
You accepted that you are a sinner in need of that righteousness and said, I, God, I exchanged, I willingly exchanged my unrighteousness for your righteousness and I plead the blood of Jesus. That's an individual decision. You cannot make someone believe. You just can't. We like to convince ourselves, listen, I have conversations with people about theology and there are some people so stuck on I hope, I hope, I hope my kid or this person in my life is saved and it makes it complicated to have conversations because we're like, yeah, I hope too. But I'm telling you right now, I'm just gonna say this right now as a pastor. It shouldn't be hope, it should be you know. That's what I'm trying to say about your friends and family. Don't do the, I don't know. If you don't know, it's time to know. What do you believe? What is the guy? This is simple stuff. We come every Sunday. You don't need me. You just need to, what is the gospel to you? Why are you think you're going to heaven? Are you sure about this? If you're not sure, that means you're probably not saved because you haven't accepted the gospel. If you're unsure, today's the day. Folks, I don't care what else I say. Today's the day. You're unsure? Let's make that sure today. He's not dying again. He's already died. The message is clear. You're a sinner in need of grace and mercy. And he died on the cross and he exchanges his righteousness, his work, his perfect life for your unrighteousness. And he's willing to give you grace and mercy if you just say, God, I need your grace and mercy. And if you will with me pray for the Holy Spirit to enter into your life and do a work in your life, then I have confidence that if your head's there, your heart's there, the Holy Spirit's already doing something in your heart and you're just responding to what he's already doing. And if you're not moving forward, and we're not going to do that today, then I'm assuming you're already a Christian. Or you're lost, and it doesn't matter what I say. One or the other. But there's no point of maybe. There's no maybe in our faith. You either are or you aren't. You're either son and daughter of God, or you're not. No maybes. Amen? I'm just being clear with you. I'm trying to be clear. But Paul says, who cares? Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, the law justifies no man. So having the law from the beginning makes no difference. Your upbringing makes you no better off morally before God. To be clear, I'm not saying growing up your kids in the church is of no value. I'm about to preach on that in a second. I'm saying it has no more moral value. You are not righteous and justified because you grew up in the church and you know things. My son is not going to heaven because I'm a pastor. Luke, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your savior. I cannot save you. I'm talking directly to my own kid. It's of no moral value to come to church. It's of benefit, but it's of no more value in terms of righteousness and so, how was your upbringing? Do you carry yourself like it's an advantage? Because it's not. It's not always an advantage, and sometimes it's a weakness. I feel some of the strength that I have as a pastor is because I didn't grow up in the church, frankly. That I look at things differently. I'm like, why do we do this? Why do we? This doesn't even make sense to me. Like, it's just religion. <laughs> Like, I, I see it for what it is. This is religion. This isn't what the Bible teaches. 
And I just want to get back to what the Word of God teaches. Now, God, again, bring your kids to church. Put them around. And I'm about to preach this, so I'm going to preach it right now. The best any parent can do is gather kindlingly around their kid and hope the Holy Spirit ignites it. But your kids don't believe because you believe. They can't believe and be right because you believe. So what, do you, what should you do as a person that knows this? You should bring your kid to every spiritual opportunity you have. Praying for the Holy Spirit fire to stir in them that they would love God, that they would know God, that they would accept Him. Why would you not do that? The world we live in. You know, you, you know, you're, if you're a parent, you're like me. I don't know exactly everything they're watching. I don't know what every message and every single thing that they're into. You can prevent a lot of things, but I don't always know the messaging and I find out this series has got this messaging and I'm like, oh my gosh, no, you can't watch that. Like that's a constant battle because the world is coming after your kids, right? Why would you... Not take your kids to a place with people you trust, knowing that there's an opportunity as you, to me, you bringing your kids is kindling an opportunity for the Holy Spirit fire to fall. And for it, listen, I, again, I didn't grow up in church, but the first Sunday I came to Sagemont, some friends from Sagemont that we were just talking, first Sunday I came to Sagemont in seventh grade, it didn't take but one time for the Holy Spirit to get a hold of me. The gospel was preached and I said, yes, I don't want to go to hell. I need God, I need him in my life. It took two years later before God called me into ministry, but I knew very clearly, and I had a faithful dad that would take me to church every Wednesday and Sunday from that point on. Thank God my dad cared about what God was doing in my life or I would not be here today. But I'm going to tell you this, I walked in on a Sunday and someone preached the gospel and I said, yes. I responded and said, this is the truth. Amen? Don't neglect putting your kids and your family around opportunities for kindling to ignite with the Holy Spirit fire. You never know. Some of you are like, man, I've brought my kids for years and they don't care. Just keep praying. Some of us have some wayward kids, and we're praying. I mean, John Piper, my legend, has a son who is so against him. He's so vocal about being against him. And it breaks his heart, it breaks my heart that he has to go through that. I don't know what faces me. But I know this. Morally, there's no advantage. We have to stand face-to-face with the gospel and accept it for ourselves, for faith and for salvation. We have to reject and fight as people of God against gospel plus anything else. We need to have the same tenacity that you see Paul have. We don't tolerate it. We don't play around with it. We don't even act like it's okay. We call it out for what it is. Counterfeit gospel, it's a counterfeit gospel. We say it exactly like that, plainly. If it's gospel plus anything else, that's a counterfeit gospel. And that's of no use. It's either grace and mercy or it's not. What he did on that cross or it's not. Plus anything, tradition, pope, 
I'm sorry, Methodist faith that believe because they hated Calvinism, so thus they wrote in there, you could lose your salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. Read Galatians. Read it for yourself. It's in their Bible too. Tell them to read it. And just believe the Word of God. It's one or the other. It's not even logical to say I believe both. So pick God's Word, His apostles, His prophets, or gospel plus. To me, if I'm battling that, I'm not even sure I believe in a God. That's logically where my brain goes. It's either I'm all in, or if this is so confusing, then it's not logical. And I'd rather just, I don't even believe in this. But the beauty is God's word is very clear. We just have to insert ourselves, And we make it complicated. So back to 560 years ago, Martin Luther's Reformation. Okay, well we're not 560 years ago. We're today. And we need new champions to fight for the gospel resolutions that what it teaches is exactly what it teaches. And God's people have to do something about that and say something about that and have something to say and not cowardly just be afraid of everybody. Oh, they're not my friend. Get over it. Being a Christian means people aren't going to like you. But preach the gospel in its beauty. Amen? Okay, I know I got to speed up. So, verse 17 and 18. And as the band can come on up, Paul seems to be differentiating in the next few verses between a justified and a repentant sinner and a non-justified and unrepentant rebel. These are difficult verses, but here's an easier way to understand this. I'm going to paraphrase these scriptures to you. If somebody who knows there are justified by faith sins, is it because justification by faith in Christ promotes sin? Not at all. But if someone who professes faith in Christ keeps on with the same sinful lifestyle, rebuilding the sinfulness that Christ died to destroy the penalty for making no effort to change, then it proves that this person never really grasped the gospel, but was just looking for an excuse to live in a disobedience to God. This type of thinking would describe the non-justified and unrepentant rebel. Verse 19. Again, a helpful paraphrase. The law itself showed me that I could not. I could, I could never make myself acceptable through it. So I stopped living to it. I died to it as my Savior. Though I obeyed God before, it was simply to get something from Him. It was for my own sake. Now I obey Him, Him simply to please Him. I now live for Him. This type of thinking would describe a justified, repentant sinner. So verse 19 describes how someone who is truly justified by faith will view life. And again, I'm just paraphrasing. The verse speaks for itself. I'm just trying to speak in more common language. God died. We don't need to add anything to it. Paul died to the law. He can now live for God. The implication is that before... Before he came to faith, while he was trying to save himself through keeping the law, Paul never really lived for God. He was being, made, he was being very moral and good, but it was all for Paul, never for God. 
He was trying to save himself. You can't save yourself. He died on the cross. That's where our energy needs to go. Faith in what he accomplished. Not trying to save ourselves. That's what we, church, have been freed from. That's what the gospel is about. You are freed from trying to save yourself. And Paul lived it. He tried to save himself. And he found himself murdering Christians, thinking, I'm pleasing God. That's what religion did to him. Some people, religion will do some amazingly crazy things to them. Because you're trusting not in God's grace. You're trusting in trying to save yourself. And the gospel teaches us you can't just accept his grace and mercy and weep and say, God, I love you. And worship him. Think every day, what does it mean to worship you more perfectly? God, today, tomorrow, every week, every month, God, you deserve everything. That's the response of a believer. You never think, oh, I've been justified, I'm good, I can do whatever. That doesn't cross the mind of a Holy Spirit-filled believer. You wrestle and you battle with flesh every day. Amen? Verse 21, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Christ will do everything for you or nothing. You can't combine merit and grace. If justification is by the law in any way, Christ's death is meaningless in history and meaningless to you personally. Amen. Church, be the mighty church. Preach the gospel. Talk to your friends who you already know have gospel plus. It doesn't start with hitting people up in the head that you don't even know. It starts with people you know that you're not sure they can say, I believe. I believe in the cross and the gospel we just spent an hour talking about. Let Galatians speak for itself. What did Paul, he was fighting Barnabas. He was fighting for Barnabas against Peter and others. That they would actually believe the gospel and take what it says serious. Not this cowardly church that just watches opponents distort scripture and we say nothing. I don't feel that's my call. My call is to call it out and if you have problems with it, I'm sorry. It's not personal. It's, I'm just trying to get on page with what Paul's doing. Fighting for the Barnabases, right? People he's invested in time with. And I don't want any confusion with false or counterfeit gospels. I don't want my people confused. It's real clear. Let's accept his grace. Let me pray. God, I thank you for the time we have in your word, the opportunity we have in Galatians to study justification. Thank you that Paul, as he says, and has he felt the least of the apostles, but had that rage of gospel integrity to stand up against legends such as Peter and contend for people you put in his midst, such as Barnabas and the call he had on his life to the Gentiles. I thank you that he shows us his tenacity to 
to stand for the gospel. I pray we as a church would take serious your gospel and that we would, with everything we have in us, we would fight for that gospel. We'd stand up to anybody, any opponent that is somewhat counterfeiting what your word teaches and that we would be the first one to call it out. I pray that we have a boldness, a Holy Spirit boldness such as Acts that friends that we know we're not sure they understand the authentic gospel that we would have conversations and lead them to read scripture for themselves versus trusting man. God, we love you. We love your word. Thank you for who you are. I pray that every person here is filled with their Holy Spirit and knows that they're saved. And I pray that if they're not, Lord, that you would lead them to come forward and talk where about where they are so that there would be clarity when we walk out of this room that we are sons and daughters of yours. We love you. Amen.